So uh, let's, uh, let's jump into uh, what we're going to chat about today. Uh, specifically last week we started this series called This Is Us and it's really just a time for us to examine who we are and what we believe in and what our values are and, and, uh, and so uh, last week I talked about how we are the people of new birth, we're people of new hope, we're people of new life and we should also be offensively attractive. Do you remember that? That if you're too attractive, then you're not opening your mouth too much. And if you're too offensive, you need to keep your mouth closed a bit more and be a bit more loving and caring. And we should be in that tension of being offensively attractive. And I jokingly said that we should be that kind of church. We should be offensively attractive. And, and, uh, and a few of you have, uh, that have, have remembered that and uh, have encouraged me and said, I think, I think that's what we are. I think we are offensively attractive and, uh, in, a, in a lovely kind of way. So that, that was last week. This week... We're going to look at again at who we are. This is us by examining uh, 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 something that Jesus referred to as being vital, not, not in just something we do, but something that we are. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you a question around this word, flourishing. Flourishing. I, I like this word. I like that it, it just sounds like what it is. It's, it's, a, it's a word we all want to be flourishing. We want our kids to flourish. We want to flourish in our workplaces. We want to flourish in life, in our mental health, in our, in our, in our, um, in our physicality, in every aspect. We want to thrive. We want to flourish. And so a, a few years ago, there was a study made, uh, and the, I'm just going to write, read it just to make sure that I get it right. It's an academic study called the Journal of Happiness. And what they did is they studied thousands of people to try and identify what it was that made people flourish. We live in a very interesting time because I don't know if any of you understand this term when I say this, but we live in a world of influencers. Not influencers in terms of leaders or people who are thought uh, leaders. That, that is one kind of influencers. But influencers now are, is a term, a social media term, where somebody generally has a uh, often very good looking. They have, they're, in their, they're in a certain stage of life that's very attractive. They have wonderfully amazing, perfect kids if they are that kind of influencer. And what they do is they garner followers, sometimes in the millions. Millions of people follow them on Instagram or on Facebook, especially Instagram. And what they do is they get money for holding certain items or certain... They're basically living billboards. Like, this is the type of sunglasses I wear. And because I'm so good looking and look at how my life is flourishing, you ought to wear these sunglasses too. Uh, What's really sad, not only is that actually happening, it works. We're suckers for it. What we do is we look at it and go, well, clearly, look at, look at how they're sat, look at what, the way they look, look how perfect their life is, and look at what car they drive. I need one of those cars. And no matter how, even as we're saying it logically in our mind, we know that that is not the case, but we still fall for it. They're influencers. And what these influencers are doing, they get paid hundreds of thousands, sometimes millions of dollars for taking pictures of themselves, putting it on the internet, and, 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 uh, and companies pay them for it. It's, it's, it's brilliant, I guess, if you can do it. I was trying to think, could I be an influencer? Like, yeah, no. People just pay me to get off Instagram. But, just you know it's just not going to not going to work but we look at that and we go they are thriving they are thriving because that's what our society celebrates we celebrate 
looks, we celebrate possessions, we celebrate popularity, we celebrate, uh, we celebrate power, we celebrate everything that these influencers, I'm not criticizing them, if anything, it's just a reflection of the type of culture we're in, we celebrate it because we equate what they are doing with thriving. What was interesting though in this study is they actually found the absolute opposite to be true. They found that people who are thriving, people who are happiness, are happiest, are not people who have all the possessions, power and popularity, but happy people have rich, deep, joy-producing, life-changing and meaningful relationships. It's the relationships that cause us to thrive. In a really interesting book, Robert Putman puts this. He says this. Can I just have the lights just down a little bit, uh, if that's possible, just so I can see everybody? Oh, there you go. It's wonderful. Um, he, Robert Putman says this. The single most common finding from a half century's research on life satisfaction, not only from the U.S., but around the world, is that happiness is best predicted by the breadth and depth of one's social connections. In other words... It's not what you own, it's, it's the relationships you have, what connections you have that really make us the happiness, that cause us to thrive, that cause us to flourish. And I think we know this intuitively to be true. We know this is true. We know that in order for us really to flourish, we are needing to flourish in community. It's like there's something inside of us, like it's a design. And, and if you look at the Bible, for those of you who are just thinking through Christianity, you'll see right at the beginning of the Bible, God says, it's not good for them to be alone. We're not designed to be alone. We're not designed to be in isolation. We're designed to be in community. This is us. This is who we are. We are people of the new birth. We are people of new hope. We're people of new life. We should be uh, offensively attractive, but we are people of community. Community, because that is where we truly thrive. Now, in the scripture, there's a word around this idea of community that the church has adopted and changed. And it's this idea of fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You'll see this word fellowship a lot in the scriptures. And it's one of the closest words that the scripture uses, the Bible uses, to describe what I'm trying to say to you in community. This fellowship of the saints, fellowship of the Holy Spirit. What the church has done, though, is it's taken this word and made it hanging out, tea and coffee, I, I was thinking about this as I was planning and prepping this this week of the time. We used to have fellowship time in the church that we pastored in North Wales. And what fellowship time meant was somebody threw a few biscuits and cookies on a plate and he had a cup of tea and church tea was never good. Church coffee was never good. It was awful, which is why we get, we're sponsored by Starbucks. Coffee's good here. We, yeah, it was high priority. It's one of our chief goals priority Starbucks sponsorship. And, and that's what fellowship was. You'd go downstairs. How many of you remember this? You can put your hand up. It's, uh, you're not going to sign in. You're not going to get signed up. Trendy. You'd go downstairs under the church, no windows, and you'd do fellowship whether you liked it or not. And you would stand around and I would look at my mum and dad going, is fellowship over yet? I don't like this. This is not good. The biscuits are soft because, well, there was some left over, so we reused them. That's what fellowship was. Come and have some fellowship. That's not what it means. Fellowship actually means something really, really powerful. 
it's a fl- it, the best way to describe fellowship is this it's like a, a flow of river of rivers of living water it's it's covenant it's it's powerful it's between one person and another it's something that you can't live without think about a flow of living water it's a connection that brings life think about what it's like when you sit next to the lake and it's a beautiful day and the water gives you so much it gives you life it gives you something great to look at something lovely to listen to it it seems to lift you it it's something powerful just looking at a, a body of water that's what fellowship is that when we come together as people there really is flourishing so it causes us immediately to ask the question what are our relationships like what's our community like what's our connection like because Not only does the Bible say that we thrive and flourish in our connections and community, but society says that too. Society says that we thrive and flourish in community. And what God did in the New Testament is he put together a group of people that really now we call the church. Now, if I was to sit down with you, and especially if you've been in church a long time, Maybe you've had experience in the past, and we were having fellowship over a good cup of coffee. Um, then maybe you would share your story of church with me. Maybe your story of church is, well, I never really used to go at all. I would only ever go if somebody was getting married or there was a funeral and that was it. Church scared me. Church just seemed to be full of rules. Church was something that just made you feel bad every week. Maybe as a Christian, you used to go to a church and, and something went wrong and because we're a bit of a motley crew of people, things do sometimes go wrong. And and so your experience of church is not good. It's something that I've I've pastored and and been part of people's lives that even the, I'm not exaggerating, even the word church brings on a panic attack. Thinking of one particular person. They couldn't even look at a church without it actually rising up within them as the, as the, the fear and the worry and concern and anxiety that the idea of this group of people would bring. And, and now, even in pop culture, the word church is not necessarily a positive thing. Oh, I go to church. Oh, now I know everything I need to know about you, is what society would think. It is so far removed from what God's intention was when he said fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Do we thrive in church? Is church a place of living water? A place that is refreshing? A place where, where we go and it's our life stream and it's, it's exciting? Something that we really need? Something that we flourish in? Because the reality is this. As much as we flourish in community, the opposite is true. We flounder in isolation. We flounder in isolation. We're not created this way. It's quite literally like taking a fish out of water and expecting it to survive. You can for a bit, a few minutes maybe, but you flounder. It's not the way you were created to be. More and more studies are showing that even though we live in a society, we've never been, please listen to this because I think you'll know this to be true, we've never been more connected and yet never been more lonely. We're connected through these things, and yet deep loneliness pervades across our society. And they're finding more and more now that loneliness is a huge factor in depression and anxiety, substance abuse, uh, sexual addiction, weight gain. 
um, and, and, and sleeping issues that people who isolate themselves find themselves giving in quickly to temptation and they become self-absorbed. Even the way that money is spent becomes self-centered. That We're not created to be this way and we start to flounder. Same writer said this, as a rough rule of thumb, if you belong to no groups but you decide to join one, you cut your risk of dying over the next year in half. You go, whoa, that's a bit over the top, isn't it? If you don't join a community group, I'm going to be dead in a year and a half? I thought, well, you know, that would, be, that would mark it. That would be a good promo strap line. Join a group or die. But I think there's truth in that. Because I think what Robert Putman is saying is, is this, that if you are floundering, if you are struggling, if you are finding yourself in a place that you never thought you would find yourself, if you're in community, you'll be noticed. I love, and I did not prompt what Dawn said about her community. I didn't prompt it. I didn't know she was going to say it. But there's truth in it. There's absolute truth. There is flourishing in community. And there's floundering in isolation. You will never, Christian, you will never, ever fulfill the experience and gifting and life that God has planned for you in isolation. You will never do it. You can try, but it won't work. So how does this work? In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul, the, the writer, Paul was one of the uh, one of the apostles after Jesus uh, died and rose again and went back to heaven. Paul got a revelation of really of how to grow the church. He wrote most of the New Testament, a phenomenal man of God. He actually wrote to the church in Ephesus, so each of his epistles are written to a particular church. This one was written to Ephesians. And the people of, in Ephesus, it was the largest church in the New Testament. Some Bible scholars say it was up to 250,000 strong. And it was led by a young guy called Timothy, who may have just only been in his mid-twenties. Okay, so Paul is writing to this church in Ephesus, and really the emphasis of this church, this, this letter to the church, really is looking at community and connection, and connection with God, but also connection with one another. So he says this, You are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation with the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Wow, there's a lot in that. There's a lot there that I could preach on, and, and, I, and I really had to just focus on three particular things, three word pictures that Paul gives us to describe what community is. Three word pictures that describe how to flourish. And I've highlighted them for you here. The first one is fellow citizens. The second one, he describes the church as members of the household of God. And then the third one, he describes us as Christians as being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Three word pictures. Now, if you were to just spend some time journaling, what you'll notice, and and I encourage you to do this when you read the Scripture, is is kind of write down the Scripture and and read it through and examine it and apply it and think about, okay, what's actually this word picture saying to me? And as you go through, you'll find that these are three depths of relationship, three levels, if you like. I don't like using the word levels because it makes me think of pyramid kind of sales, and I'm not talking like that at all. But they're different depths. The first one is fellow citizens. What he's saying is that you are, as a Christian, 
And we talked a bit about this last week. You are now in this, in, 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 you're in a new kingdom. You're citizens. You're part of something different. You remember how last week I talked about how we are different? That we don't belong here. As Christians, we actually, our, our, our hearts, our minds, our spirits are different and change. We're in heaven thinking, if you like. We're part of a different kingdom. So think of it like part of the same city. We share this city with thousands of other people. My relationship with them really can be, I may not even know you. I may not even know you. It's possible that you don't know all the Christians in Kelowna. Okay, but we're still part of the same kingdom. We're still citizens. The second is he said we're members of the household of God. In other words, we're in family. We're family. We're his children. So we're his people. So the distance between his people can vary. We're his children. Now, if you grew up with brothers and sisters, you will know there's a closeness there now. But you'll still sometimes get on best with one brother or one sister. That's just human nature. But you're part of the household. They, they see the worst of you. They see the best of you. They have stories about you. Stories they like to share at inappropriate times. Because they've seen and heard. They, you know, when you say something, they can go, actually, I know that's not true. There's a depth of relationship. They're not just in the same city. We're in the same household. That you and I, as Christians, we're, same, we're, we're family. So when I say South family, it's very biblical. We're, we're family. But Paul doesn't finish there. He also goes even deeper. He says, you're a dwelling place for God. You're his temple. So we're his people. We're his children. We're his temple. In other words... He actually describes it in a, in a way where we're being built together as stones. I've had lots of different jobs as I grew up, and, and one of them was I worked in a, uh, a Christian conference center, and that enabled me to have lots of different experiences with different tradesmen and tradespeople. And, and uh, I spent a large part of one summer uh, helping a, a bricklayer. And uh, bricklayers, like most tradesmen, I find are interesting characters, you know. Um, and, and I had my, like, hod. How many of you know what a hod is? It's two. Hod is, is like a, uh, it's like a wooden, uh, oh gosh, it's like half a box on a piece of wood that you then put on your shoulder and you pile bricks in it. And you can carry it on your shoulder. Right, you've got a hod of bricks, and so I used to do that, and I'd maybe get two or three bricks in there, and then, uh, and then, because I was I was a skinny 15, 16 year old, and and like uh, the actual guy was a bricklayer, just pile it up high, and you actually see what some of the bricklayers and laborers can actually carry in these things. It's unbelievable, and then they're running up and down ladders on scaffolding, delivering the bricks to the bricklayers because they're fast, because they often get paid per brick. And so they're flying. And so I spent this summer helping this bricklayer. And one of my jobs that I really enjoyed, because it wasn't carrying bricks, was I would do the pointing. And the pointing is the bit, is, is, the, is the, uh, the mortar in between the bricks. And you shaped it. Um, I'm trying to remember what he used to call it. I think it was a swear word, so I don't think I'm allowed to say it. The thing that, the tool uh, that you use to shape the mortar. I remember what it is, and I'm not going to say it. Um, <laughs> that was my job. But you see, bricks are designed to fit together. But if you go into parts of Britain, you'll go into the middle of nowhere, and there would be places where there's old walls that have been built by farmers and shepherds where they found rocks that don't fit together. 
but there's been time and energy placed upon making them shape well together. So this is a beautiful word picture that he's given us here. He's saying not only are you part of the same city, not only are you part of the same family, but God is going to shape you, he's going to change you, he's going to mold you so that you fit together. So there's actually not going to be any gaps, that, that there's going to be something so, so amazing, so close, so powerful, so strong, that God himself is going to be able to dwell, not only in us as a church, because this is where the language gets interesting. Not only is the language talking about the building, he's talking about you and me, that we are his temple, a place where God dwells, and kingdom isn't enough family isn't enough. What actually is, is that you and I are bricks together. And boy, are we different. Aren't we? You know, let's be honest. We're an odd group. We're a group that you wouldn't necessarily put together. We're not an interest-based group. We're not a a hobby-based group. We're not a financial-based group. Even though we may gravitate towards people who are similar to us, your experiences, your story, you're, forgive me for putting it this way, you're an odd-shaped brick. You really are. And so am I. Amen to that. But God says this, I'm going to mold you, I'm going to shape you, I'm going to change you, and you're going to come so tight that you're actually going to be a place where I can dwell, that my very presence is going to come and fill that temple. That's something that our culture has no uh, connection to. They have no. They can get kingdom, they can get family, but this, this is a whole other level of community where we flourish. See, in the Old Testament, when they built the temple, this is what happened. When Solomon finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering, the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. When all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good. His love endures forever. So when they finished the temple, there is no words to be able to describe this fully. But the presence of God came down and filled it to the point where they thought they were going to die. So that it was so tangible, so powerful. It was heaven and earth intersecting in a way that culture had never experienced before. And their response was immediate praise, immediate worship and thanks. And they buried their faces in the ground. If God and his glory came into this room, we would not be going, oh, praise God, this is where you would hit the deck quick. You would think you were going to die. That's the presence of God, the tangible presence of God. Heaven and earth intersecting. Think the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark, amped up. Okay, those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, you can go and research it. It's when they opened the ark at the end and and things happened. It was amazing. But the glory of God filling the temple. So here's what I want to tell you though, and this is where I get excited. We've got it way, way better than that. Because look at what Paul says to the church. In whom... The whole structure being joined together grows into the holy temple and the Lord. Friends, as Christians, as the church, we are designed to flourish together. Odd-shaped bricks being shaped and changed together because in us, heaven and earth intersect. And then you take that into your world, then the world takes notice. Kids get fostered. 
kids get adopted, families get healed, communities get changed, cities get turned around. That politics and social schemes can't keep up with. When heaven and earth intersect, when God fills his temple, and we're told really clearly that now we don't come to a building anymore because God himself fills us. Church, that is who we are. This is us. We are the temple of God. But there are some prerequisites. And the prerequisites are is that we need to position ourselves so that we can be changed. We can be molded. We can be shaped. And that we are actually living closely together. That we're called to this new way of living. See, community is not something you feel. Please listen to this. This is where it gets very practical. Community is not something you feel. Community is something you do. Community is something that you get off your backside, but bluntly, and go do. You go join. You go get involved. You don't wait for community to come to you, or you don't wait until you feel like it, because what actually happens is we drift into isolation really easily. But we don't flourish there. Community is not something we feel, it's something we do. There's this amazing story in John chapter 6, and you can read it later, where there's this massive crowd following Jesus, and, and there's this beautiful verse. It says this, that Jesus looked up and saw the crowd and was filled with compassion. He looked up, he saw the crowd and was filled with compassion. And then what follows is the, is the story of the feeding of this crowd, tens of thousands of people. He looked up, he was filled with compassion, and he served the crowd. See, I think the first thing that we need to understand is that we thrive in community, and community grows by noticing, by looking up, by taking our eyes off me, myself, and mine, and, and our stuff, and it is and I'm not even being critical because that's what life does, which is why we're having the series that we are in a few weeks' time, Breathe, Overcoming Overload, that we get so overloaded with what's going on in front of us that we fail to look up. We fail to notice. Now, I'm no realtor, but I know the location, location, location is something that is, is vital. What I want to say as a church, it should be notice, notice, notice. Look up. Look up and take notice. Look up and see the crowd. Look up and be filled with compassion. Community is not something you feel, it's something you do. What does that look like? There was a book a few years ago, I I seem to remember, and it was called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. I think church is all about sweating the small stuff. It's the little things that grow community. I've been so reminded this is such a pertinent message for me and my family right now because we have been so blessed this week by people looking up, seeing the crowd of us in our house with Sarah and her her broken arm and and everything that is connected with it, or not, ironically, um, and being filled with compassion and noticing the, 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 the cake that's left by the front door or the, or the note or the, or, the, or the bottle of wine that she's not allowed to drink yet. Um, or or just, just the phone call or the text or the email, the thought, the noticing is so profoundly powerful that that is what church is about. That's us being shaped and changed together. It's noticing somebody. 
It's not. It's it's about going out of our way just for a few minutes and actually spending time with somebody you ordinarily wouldn't necessarily spend time with because they're not in your group. That we're stones. This brings us closer together. So I wonder whether this week I want to challenge you as a church, as a group of people. Let's flourish by noticing. Let's notice somebody. Let's notice something. Maybe do something you haven't done before for somebody who you maybe haven't noticed before. Something really simple. Something really easy. Something small that has a profound effect. See, every moment is an opportunity. And this isn't just some cheesy strap line. I genuinely believe that every moment is an opportunity for you to show some love to somebody. My kids uh, have all, apart from our youngest, have worked in some form of retail. Retail's brutal. I mean, seriously, can we be a church that is nice to baristas and people who serve you in church? Can we do that? I think we'd change the city just by doing that. Smile. How's your day? You know, because they come home with stories. And I remember what it was like when I worked in retail. Some people are so miserable. And you can change somebody's day by how you respond and react to somebody. It's so practical. Let's be a community that notices. And I, I love that I get emails on a regular basis of, of things that are a little bit bigger. Like, hey, I, I noticed that the city needs this or the community needs that. And maybe as a church we could get involved in some way. Um, Nicole has placed something on the coffee area out there. It was, it was her idea. I thought it was great. It's, like a, it's in a frame. And it's this uh, website that you can... Um, that you can sign up to take somebody a meal. And right now, I am not saying it for this because we are mealed up. Trust me. You guys have been fantastic. So I'm not asking for more meals because we've actually run out of freezer space. I'm using our neighbor's freezers now. It's great. I love it. Can I, can I have a shepherd's pie, please? Um, so I'm not asking, but, but the, we're going to put family names on there. You just need a meal. It's a small way. Community starts by noticing. But Glenn, I'm too busy. Point two. I don't think I need to say anything. Community grows by committing. Community grows by noticing. Community grows by committing. I've given you two points. This is that. This is it. Community grows by noticing. Community grows by committing. In Acts chapter two, one of the best passages in Scripture that describes what church could be like. It says this, and they, that's the Christians, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, there's that word again, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. See, community grows by committing. The writer of Hebrews, we don't know who actually wrote Hebrews. Some people believe it was Paul, but it doesn't seem to be the style of Paul. So he's this unknown writer that, uh, that is in this amazing book in the New Testament. Hebrews chapter 10, let us consider how to stir up. You see, this word consider, it implies that we need to sit and think. How, how can I stir up? How can I stir it in a positive way, not wind up in a British way, but how can I stir up this person to love and good works? Not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. See, as a church, we want to be a church that expects people, accepts people, but also let's be an encouraging, championing, cheerleading church. You may have heard the odd time that I'm a, a big uh, football fan. Um, Manchester United is the team. Not doing great right now, but, you know, and uh, whatever. But if you ever get, get the chance to go to a, a soccer game, um, what you'll find is there's a cheering section. 
And it's really cool because what actually happens, you've got thousands of grown men, generally men, who would go, I'm not going to sing in church. But they've got their hands up in the air, usually with a, with a beef pasty in one hand and a beer in the other, which again, maybe, maybe Sunday morning, I don't know, whatever, whatever flicks you switch, you're accepted and expected. And they've got their eyes closed and they are worshipping, so they're singing away. But it is perfectly timed because there's one or two people in that crowd who are given the job of being the leader of the cheer. They, they're not cheerleaders. Get that image out of your mind because trust me, that is the wrong image to be picturing when you think of soccer fans at the, you know, in, in the Stratford end at Old Trafford. It's not a pretty sight. Um, but it's their job to decide what they're going to cheer. What a cool job for a church that you could be the cheer hyphenated leader. You could lead the cheer. You could actually be the one that considers how to stir one another up for good works and love. What a great job. Let's be that church. Let's be that community. This is who we should be. I like what John Ortberg said. He said, every life needs a shoulder to lean on once in a while. Every life needs a prayer to lift them up to God. Every life needs a hugger to wrap some arms around them sometimes. Every life needs to hear a voice saying, don't give up. Because there are times when we all do. See, as Christians, we are called to care for one another physically and spiritually. We're called to watch over one another and hold one another accountable. This is so important. We emphasize this, but this is so important. This is so important. This is questions like, how, how are you really doing? You look good. You're saying all the right things. But really, how, how's it really going? How's your prayer life? Ooh, that's a tough question. Do you have somebody in your life who will ask you those questions? How, how, how are you doing spiritually? I haven't seen you in church for a few weeks. I've missed you at community group. Are you, are you doing all right? Because what we tend to do is we wait to when somebody needs picking up because they've fallen. Whereas this, and I've got masses of scripture. If you want that, I can give you all the scriptures that talk about this. This is catching them before they fall. This is seeing them heading towards something that's going to trip them up and saying, I love you too much to allow you to carry on in this direction. Do you have that? Have you, well, no, nobody takes any notice of me. No, community isn't something you feel. Community is something you do. Have you positioned yourself in a place where that is happening? And I'll be really honest with you. In the summer, I I got to this place where I realized I, I have people who care, but I didn't have too many people who would catch before I fell. And so I met with a few guys in the church and said, you know what, I, I need this. And immediately the challenge came. Well, what are you going to do about it then, Glenn? Well, nobody calls me. Want somebody to know? No, it wasn't like that. I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> Promise. Because one of them sat right over there, so I need to be careful what to say. But it was, Dave McLean said, well, are you going to... Are you going to put yourself in a place where you're actually going to seek that out? Because that's what we all have to do. And he was right. Do you have that? Because we flounder in isolation, but we grow in that kind of accountability. We're told to work to edify one another. I've already talked about edify, encourage, build, champion, cheer one another up. To bear with one another. 
Sometimes we just need somebody to come alongside us and to lift us as we walk, sometimes stumble, sometimes drag through life. To pray for one another. Do you come to Willow One Prayer? Do you put yourself, you know, come, come early and, and come to the prayer meeting in, in church on Sunday mornings? Do you have somebody who's praying for you? To contend together for the gospel. I like this one because this is a biblical word, contend. This is a word that Paul uses in his writing. We contend for the gospel. Contend to me sounds like it's a fight. It's a wrestle. You will, if we are fully contending for the gospel and for looking for ways to share the gospel, trust me, you're going to need somebody to come and encourage you in it because it's discouraging. We need one another if we're fully engaged in the gospel and we're called to be examples to one another so here's what I like about this list and I wish it was all on one screen but they're all practical they're all things that we can decide to do today and I also want to say this very lovingly but it's true none of these things happen by coming once a month they don't by coming every now and again doesn't happen Am I talking about just Sunday morning? No. I'm talking about engaging in the life of the church. And there are so many different ways you can do that. We're, uh, we're working hard right now on, on community groups, so we want to kind of relaunch in March. And, and community groups is a great way of connecting into community. Community groups are hard work sometimes because you're tired and you've been working all day. But it's so important we position ourselves to flourish. But there's Sunday morning, there's community groups, there's Willow on Prayer, there's saying, hey, can we grab a coffee and, and actually follow through and mean it. There's so many different ways. It's South Art Project. It's coming to the women's group. It's getting involved and volunteering. There's so many different ways. Maybe one of the best ways to connect in is to volunteer. We need first impressions people. We need people on the coffee bar. We need people who help set up. We've got media. We've got so many different ways. It's amazing how quickly when you actually take a step and go, I'm going to connect in, how quickly community comes to you and you flourish. Come on a will of one prayer at the end of this month. Sunday mornings, can I, can I make a suggestion? Come early. What? Come early. Come early and hang out with some people. People do get here before 10. I know it's, I, it's true. Come early and hang out and connect and have community. I, the other day, I loved it because I was at the end. We were just leaving and, and, and often it's uh, one of the lead team that are, are locking up. And I came back in to switch the lights off and lock up. This place was filled with people still chatting. Love that. That's wonderful. It's a great way of finding community. Maybe at the end of this service, you take five minutes just to chat with somebody. Here's what I want to tell you as I finish. In one of the greatest passages in John, where Jesus really is giving his final remarks, he says some really powerful things. And he refers back to various aspects of sayings, and John has written them down. But Jesus says, one of the things he says in John 13 is this. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Notice how simple Jesus makes it. That if we actually took a step towards community and got connected and didn't isolate ourselves, then that is how people are going to find out more about Jesus because it's so unusual. 
Remember what I said? We live in a connected yet lonely society. It happened in Acts. And all who believed were together. This is the end of the passage I talked about before. It says devoted themselves uh, to fellowship and the apostles' teaching. All who believed were together and had all things in common, like bricks. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. This is such a practical message. Because it's a message that as soon as we finish singing, and the, I'm going to invite the, lead the worship team up in just a second, it starts then. Because you could book it. Gone. And I'm not criticizing because sometimes we all need to do that. But if that is what your life is like, if that is an image of what your life is like, just gone. Then that's a point where we kind of go, okay, am I flourishing in that? Is that, is that the design? Is that the way it should be? Or should I just linger for a bit? Just take five minutes to go and talk with somebody and go, hey, my name's Glenn. Or whatever your name is, otherwise that would be weird. And you introduce to somebody. We have name tag Sundays. We were meant to do it at the beginning of the month. And we do that so you can take five minutes. Just take five minutes just to talk to somebody. That's where community and flourishing starts. Because we all need one another. We really do. And I don't want to get all gushy, but it is so true that it's powerful it's powerful let's position ourselves to flourish within community amen amen let's stand up let's sing let's worship god and pray let's just close our eyes and we pray as the worship team ready themselves Hallelujah. Lord, I confess, and perhaps on behalf of many in the room, community is difficult. Lord, it's hard to be vulnerable, to put ourselves out there and reach out. Lord, I pray you would give us fresh insight and revelation in the power of this and how We've been designed to be this way. Lord, I pray that we would increasingly become a church that notices. So grateful, God, for the community you have given us. Lord, I pray that those that maybe are on the fringe, that there would be a stepping in. That life would be found there. And so, God, I pray and would ask this week that we would notice, we would take step in, that Lord, that we would join, that we would linger, we'd have a conversation, we wouldn't run, Lord, that in that, that God, that we would flourish, and Lord, truly there would be like a river of life flowing in this church, thank you God for the stories and the celebrations, so many good things happening, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord.